Welcome to the Rural Insights Podcast, where we explore rural actions and policies that impact Michigan's Upper Peninsula and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you'd like to learn more about Rural Insights, visit ruralinsights.org. Now, here's your host, David Haynes. Good day, everybody, and welcome again to another great edition of Rural Insights podcasts and video series, where we try to feature people in the know about the Upper Peninsula. Um, And today's guest has been with us before, Brian Chapman. He's the city manager of Sault Ste. Marie. Um, One of, uh, last time I had three or four international cities in in, Michigan. in the state of Michigan, a very, very unique uh, uh, declaration and also uh, has some interesting impacts on how life is led and uh, and some different responsibilities. So that's very great. And of course, it's one of our largest, if not first or second largest city uh, in the peninsula. So a lot is important that's going on. Brian Chapman is also a graduate of Northern Michigan University, and he has his master's in public administration um uh and uh from northern also and had the unfortunate experience with i think having me as a professor but (laughs) other than that uh so brian thank you so much i know you're busy and i'm going to try to keep it short today because i don't want to take up too much of your time because your staff said that if i take too much time they'll never let me back in so i'm gonna keep it tight uh, I'd like to talk today about municipal finance and rural government. It's a discussion all over the country, uh, certainly as uh, cities, uh, rural and urban suburban, uh, big and small, have, have faced COVID costs and uh, faced uh, these days also looking at what's happening with gun violence in their communities and all sorts of uh, uh, issues. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about the challenges of it. You've, you've done a great job, and your city has been active in trying to deal with this issue of uh, big box stores taking a dark store exemption and costing the city's money. I, I know yeah. uh, four of the cities in the UP have talked to me, and big cities have talked to me about this. Uh, there's not been an increase, uh, as far as I know, in yours or the other larger cities in the UP in property taxes. Um, up until this year, I think there's not been an increase in state aid to municipalities. I'm not sure what happened this year. So talk to us about what all this has meant to you and what you see in the future here. Yeah, so we uh, it's a timely conversation, too, because we just wrapped up our uh, budget process. We're on a July 1 fiscal year and a June 30th, so we're ending one fiscal year and we're getting ready for another one. So we adopted a budget uh, uh, beginning of June and you know looking at the revenue side of our budget things get pretty tight our expenditures continue to increase um, there's still a COVID impact or supply chain impact the price of gas has gone up so we're seeing our expenses go up significantly but on the revenue side there's not that much growth though so the, um, the city of Sault Ste. Marie we haven't been fortunate enough to have a great deal of new development or redevelopment that would increase that tax base. We've been pretty um, uh, stagnant, for lack of a better term. We've been pretty stagnant with our development. Um, 
So our property tax revenue, I think there's a slight increase in it that's coming from kind of the Prop A Headley um, process there. And I think it's only about 3%, which isn't a lot. But like you said, we haven't seen a lot of increases in the last few years because the Prop A and Headley combined, I think they limit property tax growth to rate of inflation or 5%, whichever is less. So we haven't seen this massive growth in our tax revenue stream. And realistically, you know, you don't see some tax growth until somebody sells their property and changes hands and becomes untaxed, gets reassessed. So we haven't had a lot of that happening up here. Um, so our, our property taxes remain stagnant. Our shared revenue system, which is the constitution, constitutionary statute or constitution and state statute revenue sharing system, um, we've seen some increases on the constitutional side of things because the legislator can't really touch that pot of money. Um, but on the statute side of everything, that's a discussion that comes up annually with the state's budget appropriation process. And we're seeing a little bit of increase this year. I think the state has some extra funds that they're trying to divert to the uh, local municipalities. I think Governor Whitmer in her budget proposal maybe had upwards of 10%. I think the House or the Senate concurred with that recommendation, but the opposite chamber of that um, wants to see that lower down a little bit. So our, our property taxes combined with the um, state shared revenue system accounts for a major portion of our budget. I want to say about two thirds of our general fund operating budget. So, you know, when those two line items don't see a lot of growth, we obviously have an issue with our expenditure side and not being able to grow our services. So uh, like I mentioned, we just finished our budget process here in June. We adopted a budget and it was, it was another tough grueling year. We have a lot of needs. We have a lot of wants. We have a lot of deferred maintenance equipment that's going bad. We have police cars that have 160,000 miles on them. I mean, we have a lot of items that we have to replace and it gets difficult when your revenues can't carry your expenditures. Your expenditures continue to grow at a rate that's not sustainable. So what, what other options does a city have other than what you described? I mean, is, is there, you know, a, a business raises their prices, university raises tuition, uh, goes after gifts. What, what are some of the things you, you city managers think about when you think about revenue sources? So we are impacted by state statute. And again, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the, I don't think it was Prop A, I think it's the Headley Amendment compounded with the Bolt v. Lansing. So we have property taxes, we have the state shared revenue system, and then another portion of our general fund are user fees. So if you have, if you use an ambulance, we bill out to your insurance company. If you're renting a park, you're renting a boat slip, whatever the case may be, we have user fees, but even under state statute and a little bit of court law, we're capped at how we can come up with those fees. So the fees have to represent the, the for lack of a better term, the amount of effort that goes into the service. So we can't just blindly come up with a fee that says, you're gonna be charged X amount of dollars for this particular service. There has to be an actual rhyme or reason kind of a justification for that fee. So that's one item we think about. 
Um, there are some other tools in the toolbox. They're not very, um, you know, they're political. They're special assessments. So if we're doing a road project, there may be some fees that we can associate to the property owner for their benefit. Um, there are other types of special assessments we could look at. Some communities have a public safety assessment. They use that to either fund the general operations of a police department or a fire department, or they'll use it for capital purchases and just kind of have that money coming in. Um, income do those tax. all require a vote of the people? Do they so some of them do. So some special assessments, special assessments just need to be, uh, there's a process in our charter that needs commission approval. And I think the public safety special assessment that's dictated by state statute, but that is commission approval also. So it's a little bit easier, but when you start getting into actual tax increases, a new millage, um, you know, going above what your allocated tax rate is based on Prop A and Headley, then you got to go to a vote of the people. And it gets a little bit more difficult. It gets a little bit more challenging. And, you know, it's especially in today's uh, uh, the, the, the economy, the climate that we're in right now, when gas just shot up to $5.19 and everything's being more expensive, it's tough to go to the vote of the people and ask for additional funding because they're also feeling the pinch personally with their own grocery bills, their gas bills, their heating bills, whatever the case may be. So, you know, there's a lot of things we have to think about when we start looking at fees and revenues. Um, you know, the, the time of the ask, is it uh, conducive to the economy and the local people support an increase? Um, I know I, I saw on the news recently, the city of Marquette is possibly going for a, an additional tax rate increase of about like 2.7 mils. And I believe that's underneath their statutory allotment. So I think that can happen at the commission level. But once you start getting above that, you have to do it as a vote of the people. And it has to be authorized by state law. We could do a parks assessment. We could do a few different things, but they're not easy processes. And they're right. not always easy discussions to have. And voters are not prone these days to vote for tax increases. No, they. there was a period when the economy was kind of humming along. And there was a, um, I don't remember if it was U of M or maybe it was the Michigan Municipal League, but they keep an eye on the uh, special millages that are being proposed. And for a while there, when everything was good, they were seeing those pass at a higher rate. I think about 70, 80%, which is pretty good. But now the, the economy has changed, the climate has changed a little bit. And we're waiting to see if some of those special requests do get knocked off. I do have a theory that I think if people understand truly what their taxes are going for, and it's a cause they believe in, I think they will pass them. But at the same time, people have to look at their own checkbook and say, well, you know, if I have a choice, am I going to vote for this increase in taxes or am I going to make sure I have you know, money on the table for food, gas, et cetera? Child care, all those expenses with yeah. inflation going yeah. on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, what, what, when's the last time you think you had in Sault Ste. Marie City a vote of the people on taxes? Is oh. it the last decade? It's been a while. So the city actually only assesses three millages. So we have our tax rate or tax millage. 
We have a police and fire pension that helps pay the pension costs associated with our uh, police department and fire department. And we've had that for the longest time. And then we have a special millage for um, uh, refuse and uh, refuse and um, oh, composting and stuff like that. It's a very small one, but it helps fund those operations. So we have those three millages. I think the two, they were voted on long, long time ago, way before is, I was is here. Dark stores still a problem in, in for cities in the UP? Dark stores are still a problem. Um, I would say they're not a problem for the Sioux right now because we lost that battle. So it is what it is. We've, spayed, we've, we've uh, spent the money for the attorney fees to fight the case. We ended up losing. Um, so it's not an active problem. It's a problem in the sense that those big box stores aren't paying their fair share of the taxes. So like I was saying, when our expenses go up and our taxes, you know, that the small business owners having to pay more taxes than what those big box stores are. So it was still a problem in that sense. You know, we've had a development group approach us about bringing in a new box store and even kind of looking at the history of the dark stores and what big box stores can do to a local economy and what they really bring. You know, the, the conversation has kind of changed at, local level to all right you know it used to be we want these big stores these are big anchor institutions they can support the local economy they're good for us but given the issues that have kind of came of them some of the perception has changed a little bit and it's kind of being framed in the sense of are these really worth it to our community because they do take away business from your your local downtowns and if that's an anchor that you want a strong downtown you want them in there do you want the dark store case issues you know, is it really is it really worth its weight for a community? Well, and and, and also added to you, the loss of revenue would be the the increase, especially during COVID, of online shopping. Correct. Uh, yeah, and the yep. competition between a big box online um, Amazon or whatever and a small business and its cost. Yeah, you know what what you've been talking about is this. What I think listeners will take, I think, of this is how much intergovernment relations impacts here. You, you, yeah. you, you're dependent on one level of government to approve something, and you're dependent on what another level of government d- does to, to uh, get you to a certain spot. Uh, how much time do you think you spend? It's you know I suspect it's a great deal of time on intergovernmental relations, whether it's with the state, the federal, the local school district. Uh, you know, uh, talk about a city manager yeah. and the city's life about intergovernmental it's, work. It's incredibly important. I mean, at the local level, our intergovernmental relations come with our school district. We just uh, signed a new uh, contract for a school resource officer, so we're trying to provide those. We work with our county, county, county counterparts, tricky word, um, for bidding opportunities, project, piggyback, stuff like that. But, you know, when it really comes to what's impacting us, it really comes down from the state government. And we spend a great deal of time advocating against certain laws or advocating for laws. We have a very good, very close working relationship with the Michigan Municipal League, which acts as kind of our state advocacy group. 
Um, I'm on a finance committee. I've got staff members on other committees and we do, we spend a great deal of time trying to stay up on the state's business because what they do has a major impact on us. And then at the federal level, we work really close with our local uh, elected officials. You know, a lot of that is more uh, grant and funding opportunities and trying to stay up on that and give feedback on programs and what works, what doesn't work. But I would say the vast majority of our time on intergovernment relations is just really at the state level and making sure the elected state officials understand that there's an impact at the local level for some of the laws they propose and pass. So even the um, uh, short-term rental issues, you know, I remember meeting with one of our elected officials and he had a very, I, very concrete idea that short-term rentals had no impact. It should be managed at the state level. But after he met with some of the local units of government, he met with me and my commission, you know, we painted a very different picture and he could then see the impact that a state mandated short-term rental program or quota could have on a local unit of government. So we spend a great deal of time trying to work with them and the uh, state administrators so they understand what kind of impact they'll have on the local unit of government. Because it's, at the end of the day, a lot of the things they're proposing is funding. It's going to be money out of our coffers or it's going to be an increase in expenditure to accommodate their mandate. So for example, um, it, it's kind of a touchy one, but the state has personal property tax. And when that first came down years ago, you know, each city received a hefty amount of personal property tax based on the businesses in their community. And in order to be a more business friendly environment, the state did away with a large portion of it. And that hurt communities. What they recently did, I think there is an exemption under $80,000 of personal property tax is exempt. They don't have to pay it, but they just upped it from 80 to 160,000. And I think talking to my assessor, we may have had 60, 60, 60 or so payers under personal property tax. And with that exemption, it dropped us down to maybe five. So, I mean, that's, that's all money that's coming out of our budget that we use to pay for cops, firefighters, streets, all that stuff. So it has a real impact at the local level. It, it struck me as I listened to the everyone talked about, and I've talked to a lot of municipal leaders in the UP about this issue with short-term rentals. And I've said to some of the state, it's amazing for state people to think that this could be good for a local community. Right. I don't right. you know. I mean, everyone's reaction outside of Lansing is the same thing. What? How would that help us to have yeah. you set something, right? I mean, that's sort of, it's been fascinating to me. This is one of the disconnects yep. right, that also speaks to the importance of intergovernment relations, which you just did by making sure the low, the state leaders understood what the heck means here. Yes. Well, Brian, I want to thank you. I don't want to keep your time up. Uh, thank you. for This has been really, really fascinating. I know our listeners will, will like it. And I, uh, we're not going to talk about it because you, you, uh, we haven't had a chance to make sure we are. But you know, the, there was just a recent statewide story about the Sioux Area High School having on an elite list of 19 schools in the state had the highest levels of low-income uh, young people uh, go to college. 
yep. your, for your program. It's an amazing uh, number when you look at the, the statistics uh, and uh, the sometimes I'd love to talk about the importance of this educated workforce to a thriving international city like Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, it'd be great. It's, we have a great school district. We really do. I was surprised when we first got here, but yeah, I'd love to have that conversation with you. All right, my friend, have a great week. Thank you for giving me this time. I know you're busy, so I really appreciate it. Anytime, sir. Thank you. You've been listening to the Rural Insights Podcast, brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you enjoy our content, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting ruralinsights.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.